Welcome to the Fulfillment Project Podcast, where we, the seekers, unite together to step into our higher selves and highest purpose. I'm your host, Simply Sarah, and I'm glad that we have found each other here today. My aim for this show is to give you some tools and strategies along with the awareness of emotional intelligence and intuition as you create a life and business from alignment, creating more joy and fulfillment every single day. Welcome back to the Filament Project podcast. I have a guest with us here today, Barat Oza. Barat, my friend, welcome back to the show. You've been on the Thank show before. You. I have, and I'm excited to be back on it. Yeah, I don't know. I think this might be your fourth episode here on the show, and I, I think so. you have the most amount of episodes of any guest here. Oh, wow. I'm honored. I'm honored. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm yeah. glad people and yourself care to listen to what I have to say. Yes. And we have a different conversation than what we've had on here, which is about trauma. And, you know, I think it's a a very important topic, especially with the women I work with, all focused around growth and people who want to step out of their comfort zones or do different things or elevate their lives. Whenever we want to move forward, we need to look at what's holding us back. Yeah, totally. Trauma is a big part of that. I think trauma is like the foundation. You know, like I think part of growth is, you know, we we talk about things like procrastination, lack of motivation. We talk about self-sabotage. And I think if you look a little deeper, it's all a trauma response. That's what those things are. You know, and sometimes we focus so much on, you know, hey, how can I avoid procrastination or how do I um, not self-sabotage myself? I always do that to myself. And I think on on some level, you can work on the self-sabotage habits, or you can actually look at what's the trauma that's, you know, that this self-sabotaging behavior is a, is a coping mechanism of, yeah. you know, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it, even like, you know, in business and learning strategy and all the, the, how, the, what to do, I mean, anything you, whether you want to lose weight or build a business, anything you want to do, there's, there's a plan, there's a to-do plan, yeah. but sometimes people find themselves procrastinating or not doing the plan or not being able to fall through or even finding themselves maybe in like a freeze response. Why can't I actually do this? And it wasn't until I really started working on my own trauma and, you know, doing many psychedelic uh, experiences with you holding space there that I really saw the power of how these uh, traumas uh, can affect us and hold us back. And so let's start really basic here. How would you like, you know, what is trauma? Please you know, just describe trauma to us. Yeah, I think this is important because before I really started studying trauma, I thought trauma was the event that happens to us, right? So let's say, you know, you wanted something and uh, your parents said, no, we can't afford that. And because of you, we're in debt. Or let's say something comes out like that. We think, oh my God. Or, what you know, again, you know, people have been through accidents, sexual abuse, you name it, right? And we think the event is the trauma. That's what I thought. Till I realized, and I, I learned this from Gabor Mate, who for me is like the person when it comes to trauma, uh, is that trauma is not what happened to you. It's what happened inside you when that event happened. And so it's the lack of disconnection. It's the lack of safety, or rather, sorry, it's the disconnection or the lack of safety in that situation, right? So that was a big, big aha moment for me. It was like, oh, I thought it was the event. 
but it's not. It's you, what happens within you during the event that is the trauma, which is great because now you can say, I, you know, obviously you couldn't stop the event from happening, but you can now work on what your response was. You can change that. And I think that 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 change that happened within you in response to the event, which is trauma, eventually becomes your subconscious programs. You know, you start, you grow up, especially the, you know, the younger you are and when those events happen, I, that starts forming your subconscious beliefs, which then show up as behavior patterns, which then, like we said, becomes anything from, you know, uh, let's say, for example, uh, that free state, I can't do this. Or how come I always go into free state when I'm there? Or how come when I go to my parents' place, I'm always in like fight or flight? I'm always on the edge. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Why is that? Because, you know, it goes back to that, what happened within you during those events when you were younger. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, you just mentioned, you know, uh, freeze response and fight or flight. Let's talk about the different types of uh, stress responses yeah. that come out of that. Yeah. So there's this four main types, right? And so there's the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? And so fight or flight, most of us know that's either we want to run away or we want to go, all right, I'm going to take this head on and fight it. Uh, then there's the freeze where the body just freezes. You know, I think we all have been in situations where it's like, I don't know what happened. I just, everything froze. I couldn't move. I couldn't respond. Um, but sometimes we can, I know in my experience, sometimes when I've frozen, I've had tears, but my body's just, I can't move. And then there's fawn, which is not, not spoken about often, I think, but fawn is where you want to please the perpetrator. You know, you want to make peace with this person because you don't want conflict with them because you feel that they can harm you. And so you try to keep the peace or avoid conflict. And sometimes that can involve even praising this person um, or, or those people, right? So that's the, I think that's one that's not, I've not heard too much of, but that's, that's, a, that's the fourth response to trauma. Yeah. I've noticed myself in fawn a lot. I'm a lot more conscious of it now. Um, mm in relationships, especially like with Joe or like if, cause I, I grew up not enjoying conflict, not knowing how to deal with conflict, grew up with parents who never even heard them fight, but so much was just swept under the rug. And yeah. so whenever there would be conflict, I can now look back and see myself going into people pleasing mode or trying to make the peace or calm everything down and making sure that he's okay. Yeah. And recognizing that now, and even having past relationships that were very verbally abusive mm -hmm. and seeing that that was the response of not going to fight back, not going to run away. I'm just going to please them. Totally. Yeah. And, and a second, I would say other than those four responses, I'm just thinking of this right now, but another definition of trauma is also something that should have happened did not happen. So in moments where you were supposed to receive safety, you did not receive safety. So I, I wrote a post a while ago about this because as I study trauma, it's I've had a good life and I can't say I've had major traumatic events happen, but there's trauma, micro traumas throughout the process or throughout my life in the last 40 years. And studying this has made me go like, holy crap, like, wow, there's so much. And I just want to say something here, really important for people that are listening. We can't avoid trauma. Being human means experiencing trauma. So let's not even feel like, oh, how do I avoid these things? It's not about that. It's about becoming aware 
and then working using different modalities to work through that. But another definition of trauma is, like I said, something that was supposed to happen did not happen. So I remember uh, when I had years ago, I was severely deficient in B12. And my dad, thank God for him being in that medical field, saw my symptoms, took me to a nurse friend, and every week I'd get these B12 injections. And I remember one, one week, I think she must have hit a nerve or something. By the time we got home, I couldn't walk. I was literally limping. I had to grab onto something. My right leg, I think, was like dragging. I was like, I, I need someone to hold me right now. I, I distinctly remember standing in the el- trying to stand in the elevator, going to my condo with my dad. And my dad was there. And he, all he did was just looked at me. Meanwhile, I'm like, I can't stand. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally holding on to this side of the elevator and going like, something's wrong. And he did nothing. Now, I'm not blaming my father. I don't know what was going on with him. Maybe he didn't believe me. Maybe he was exhausted. I don't know. And so I'm, I don't blame him at all. But in that moment, that little kid needed to be held, needed to be seen that, okay, you are in pain. Something's going wrong. I don't know what's happening. And just, you'll be okay. Those things did not happen. And that's also trauma. So so the message that I receive now is my dad doesn't trust me. He's not there to keep me safe. And those are traumas. And those are things because he was supposed to do that. It did not happen. That becomes trauma. So I think that's an that was another like mind-blowing thing for me. I was like, whoa, I didn't realize that can also be trauma. So I just want to bring that to the, the listeners' awareness that that is also trauma. I think that's so important too, because as children, when we're very impressionable and a lot of our beliefs are set and we just don't have the emotional capacity to make sense of a lot of things, there can be a lot of instances that happen to us when we're children and we're not able to regulate what had happened. And their parents don't have the emotional capacity to yeah. be able to hold a space for us or know that we need that space. Totally. And a lot of times it's also not coming from a bad intention. You know, like there's things my parents did with the best intentions to secure a great future for my brother and myself. And thank God for that, because that's why I'm here. But growing up in that age, there were things that I didn't receive in that process. And so that becomes my trauma because my those become my messaging. And then, you know, we the word self-worth is so often discussed in that, you know, personal development world or the spiritual world or whatever but that's that's forming my self-worth now, right? Am I worthy? Well, I'm not worthy of the love and attention and no one believes, if he doesn't believe me, no one believes me, you know? And then we start stifling our voice because, well, no one believes me, why speak? Why express myself? What's the point? And you can see how that can lead to a whole bunch of behavior patterns or blocks and stuff, right? So, yeah. 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 I was mentioning this book uh, before we hit record here, which is Gabor Mate's new book, The Myth of Normal. Uh, And he was even talking about how just the way kids are raised nowadays and the trauma that basically our entire society is under from our parents living in stress, uh, from children being disassociated from their parents and parents not really Parents do raise their children, but they don't have the most significant influence over their children as opposed to uh, the schooling system or more so their peers. 
Yeah. And he was saying that because a lot of children don't have their parents to look up to from a modeling perspective or that mature adults are not the ones who have the most influence over children, that yeah. children are being influenced and finding their emotional regulation through their peer orientation, which yeah. is immature in and of itself. And yeah. so we have all these kids growing up modeling, whether it's young um, celebrities that are just idolized all over the place, or they're looking at their own peers within school for their own emotional blueprints. And so from a yeah. society perspective, I just loved his take on that, that we are basically in a trauma prone society now. We are. And that's the thing, right? Like it's, it's so intergenerational. This is not just my dad or my mom or whatever. It's there's like I can learning trauma makes me so much more compassionate for myself and for my family, you know, and, and which is why I want to say this again. There's no point blaming your whoever, right, family or whatever. Everyone, most people did the best. They had the best intentions, which I'm also not dismissing certain extreme situations where, you know, someone was abused or uh, beaten up or whatever it may be, right? So um, I think I think it's really important to understand that there's a lot of intergenerational trauma going on. Trauma's passed on just like healing is, right? And I think that's also why it's so important to start studying this or at least becoming aware and then using modalities because when you do that, you're breaking that cycle, right? This will, there's so many things I've worked on since I studied trauma that I know will not carry forward into into my family line right so i think i think it's very important yeah especially what you said there i mean you you said earlier you can't change the actual event so mm-hmm. blaming other people does nothing but actually put you in a victim mode yep. whereas like what we know now is you can change the emotional response to the event which is really what the trauma is mm-hmm. and then you break that uh nervous system response so trauma oh. trauma is stored in the body am i correct there Yes. Yes. Can you uh, just talk to that a little bit? Yeah, because it has a lot to do with nervous system, right? Your nervous system regulates everything from your immune system to your muscles, your bones, everything, inflammation, hormones, you name it. So when you perceive threat, your nervous system gets dysregulated, right? Or they call it activated. So if your nervous system is activated, then what's it going to do to all everything else that depends on it, right? It's going to go things are going to get disrupted, whether it's your hormones, whether it's digestion, whether it's elimination, whether it's your sleep, your skin, your body temperature, everything starts getting disrupted. And then imagine now that goes on for, I don't know, months, years, right? Decades, <laughs> yeah, decades even, right? Because also it's not just something happened, you responded, now you have trauma. It's also great. What's your lifestyle like, right? You are living in a certain lifestyle and, you know, everything from electromagnetics to, you know, the, we have to make money to you name it, you know, and we don't need to go into that. But now what happens is your, your, your nervous system being dysregulated, it is starting to throw everything off. And so that, that I always say, it's like a, it's like a a television channel that's playing in the background, even if you're not watching it. Hmm. Right. Like if I turn the television on and I watch, I don't know, Discovery Channel doesn't mean BBC is not playing. I'm just not watching it. It's the same way. That event is playing in the back of my mind somewhere, even if I'm going to work. And now the responses from that that TV channel are stored in my body because those reactions still happen. Over a period of time, that can show up as everything from, 
you know, like muscle stiffness to autoimmune conditions. And Gabor Mate talks about that in his book, uh, When the Body Says No. It's a phenomenal book. I think I think that should be taught in schools, like all these books. Um, but I think since we come from that fitness background and holistic wellness background, I think those are these are books that should be taught because if you don't understand trauma, it's hard to help someone heal their autoimmune condition or health condition or even fat loss. And, and so, yeah, so it all, because the nervous system controls the physical body, the responses, those electromagnetic signals are there in the body and get stuff stored in the body. In especially they say, I don't know how true this is, but apparently it gets stored in the fascia. I, I know my, I read this somewhere and my energy medicine teacher, I remember after holding space after two retreats back to back, when I went to see him, he's like, what's up with your fascia? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, whoa, you, you what have you been doing last couple of weeks? I'm like, well, I had two retreats, like almost back to back. He's like, that makes sense. You're holding energy, you're absorbing and processing people's stuff. And so that was fascinating because I was like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. So I do believe from experience, I could be wrong. Someone could say that's not true. Um, but I do believe that it's your fascia, especially that starts storing it. And then if you look at the cells, right? Our cells have memory, right? And so I think just from all those levels, if you look at it, trauma starts getting stored in the body, which can then show up as physical issues, or it'll show up in your relationships, right? And we say this often, right? Especially things we have with our parents, we'll usually see that in our relationships with our romantic partners, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, it's stored in the body, but it starts showing up uh, either manifest as physical things in the body or in your external relationships, romantic or not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's a big correlation in, you know, personality adaptation yeah. and trauma. Um, trauma yeah. comes from, I read this on trauma comes from the Greek word wound. Mm -hmm. which is interesting. I mean, if you think about a wound, a wound can be open and raw where it's painful um, or that wound can scab over, which, yeah. you know, we can shut down our emotional systems. We can become reserved, you know, suppression mm. happens and that's going to affect someone's personal expression. Totally. Yeah. I, I was, I was joking with jazz the other day, jazz and I were laughing because we were saying literally our personalities are trauma responses. Yeah. You know, yeah. think about it, like everything I've done in my life, how I am, my personality as it builds after a certain age was because of traumas from within a certain age group, especially. And then obviously later, but it's it, our personalities are really trauma responses. Yes, yeah. I've, lo I've looked at my uh, work addiction or workaholism mm -hmm. and noticed it change over the years of more uh, trauma work that I've done on myself. And yeah. so let's let's talk about addictions, um, the uh, the coping mechanisms to trauma that some people might not even recognize. I mean, we hear addiction, you know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, but addiction goes so much further than that. Totally, it's it's like you said, it is a coping mechanism, right? And there's there's certain parts of the nervous system that get activated from the motivation perspective, from the reward perspective. From even, you know, we have four major neurotransmitters, dopamine, acetylcholine, GABA, and serotonin. All of them have a lot to do with these different motivation and reward systems, right? So first of all, you people's addictions are very valid. That's number one. The, I think that's one thing people need to understand is it's not, doesn't make you bad. Uh, it's yes, your addiction, what you're addicted to could be harmful, 
And that's a problem. But that's also the definition of addiction is you're for short term relief or pleasure, you're going to consume something that is hurting your system and you're aware of it. You're aware. I don't know a single person and I work with a lot of people with addictions. I have had my own. There's not one person who does not think that the thing they're addicted to is good for them. Right. Everyone knows where I am aware that, I don't know, let's say coffee is hurting me now. I can feel it. I'm getting hives. I, my eyes are burning in the afternoon. I crash. My sleep is disrupted, but there is something that coffee does for me. There's, there's a wound that coffee is soothing or there's, there's a, there's a, I, I need some kind of a dopamine rush because I'm afraid to look at some things. There's some things that are probably making me afraid or unsafe, which a dopamine hit makes me go, ah, oh, yes, yes, everything's good because I feel good now. And that's what my choice is coffee. Someone else's could be cocaine or whatever it is, right? And so first of all, addictions are very valid. They are a coping mechanism. And I think what needs to be understood is the trauma. What are you trying to soothe or gain a resolution from, right? I think once we start doing that, there's more relief because the first step of that whole process with addiction is acceptance. You have to accept that this thing gives me relief. Great. Thank you for that. You know? Um, and so I, th I think maybe I'm going on a tangent. I no, no, go. It's good. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's really important. And even me working with so many people now, it's interesting, right? You start reading about some stuff and then those kind of people come your way. Right. You start looking at it within yourself. I'm like, as I started looking at it within my own addictions, I started getting people who are going through everything from cocaine to alcohol to all these GHB addictions and they start coming my way. And I have so much more compassion and understanding for them. And one of the first things I've told most of them is like, of course, you're addicted to it. That makes perfect sense. And I've had, I remember having a conversation with someone who said, really, it does. I'm like, of course, you know, you've gone through some things, you're trying to soothe that. And for whatever, you know, life or cultural or economic reasons, alcohol has become your thin thing. For me, maybe it was coffee. For someone else, it's something else. I know for me, at some point, it was masturbation. Like, we all have these things. So it doesn't matter what it is. It makes sense that you are hooked on to this. And part of it, I also try to tell people, is chemical. It's not a lack of willpower. It's not, uh, you know, I'm doomed. I don't have resources. Some people don't. Sadly, they don't have resources. That's another whole issue. But there's the chemical side of it. And then there's the trauma side of it, right? Which has obviously chemical aspects. So I try to support people on both sides um, with the chemical side, whether it's the nutrition side, whether it's combo. Um, and then the other side is just like, first of all, accepting and understanding them and going, I get it. I know that. I know that feeling. I know why you do this because I do this just in a different way, you know? And I think that's, that's very relieving to people that I've, I've had so many people message me. I remember once I went on a rant about addicts on the Instagram stories and I had so many people reply back, like, thank you for thinking that it's, we're not weirdos or, you know, a, a debt on society and things like that. Cause a lot of them are just trying to soothe pain. You know, and I think once we see it from that lens, the the stigma around addictions 
goes down. At least it has for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like this cycle of shame. You're, yes, shame. You most likely feel shame, which is why you're trying to soothe or any of those lower emotions. And yeah. yet you don't want to talk about it because that's also shameful of the totally. addiction that you're in. Yeah. I, I've also had to watch for myself as someone who comes from uh, a drug addiction, Mm. becoming obsessed with exercise addiction. Mm. And then when I came out of the fitness industry, uh, a workaholism addiction. And so it can be very easy to switch your addictions for one another and thinking that you're over it, but you're not. Yeah, totally. And, and this is the thing, right? Like I'm sure fitness helped you. I just read chapters of your book, hundred percent, how significant it is. Right. But that's the same thing for someone's heroin addiction. In that moment, it is serving them, although, yes, it's hurting them, mm-hmm. you know? And in we can talk about the fitness industry, right? We've done all sorts of things, uh, excessive dieting, messed up our hormones. I took steroids in the name of being healthy and strong mm-hmm. and looking a certain way. So there's, there's aspects of, uh, there's positive aspects to it and there's destructive aspects to it, right? And which is why, like you said, the root is the trauma is the pain and the shame and the guilt and whatever it is that you're trying to soothe and get away from, but it takes different forms. So that's, that's a fantastic point. It could switch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I found for me, it was coming down to feeling like I was enough. Like that, that wound of not feeling enough or not worthy enough was just driving me into excess of everything. Yeah. Totally. And reading his other book, uh, it's called in the realm of hungry ghosts. It's, it's focused on trauma and addictions. Mm. Every addict that he spoke to, especially the ones taking heroin or, or, or certain other drugs, I forget the names, they all described it as it feels like a hug. Mm. Like that is so powerful that you that you want to take something that all you want is to feel like you're being fucking hugged. Like, my God, you know? So like, I, I don't know how anyone can know that and feel that and learn that and know that piece of information and, and still see addiction as this evil thing. You know, I think even for addicts, for people like who, well, we all are addicts in some ways, somewhere on the spectrum. Um, just remembering that is like, yes, that's all I want. And that's probably all you wanted, which is why you're in this cycle right now. Yeah. Right. So that that was like very profound for me to read that, that all these people who are, sadly caught up so deep in these addictions they they describe whatever that drug is is just as a warm hug you know that's that was like very very profound for me do you think vulnerability is a key piece to starting the work of trauma trauma work trauma unlocking it could be part of the process it just is the person ready to be vulnerable right right because and I guess there's there's a there's a spectrum of vulnerability, right? I'm sure that if they find someone they trust, they may because the first thing is safety, mm-hmm. you know, is they have to feel safe in some way first, right? Because if the nervous system's dysregulated, the, it, nothing matters. It doesn't matter what you know. Talk therapy doesn't matter. Any therapy doesn't matter. Uh, which is also why you know when we when we someone comes into a psychedelic ceremony or wants to do psychedelics, that's one of the first things I screen them for. Where's your mindset? Is your nervous system relatively regulated, right? So um, I think the first thing would be if they feel safe because then they can be vulnerable because most of us, we felt threat at some time, 
right? And so not being loved, not being seen, not being heard was threatening. Because especially that age from zero to seven, right? More so that let's say zero to three and then later three to seven is really when our software is being developed, right? And so especially in that age, if we didn't feel safe, then we felt threatened because it literally was threatening to our life, right? And so now fast forward 30, 40 years or 20 years even, if that same program's there that I'm not safe, I'm not safe in this world, I'm not safe in my body, all of these things, if they have that, it's really hard for someone to go, yes, let me be vulnerable to you because being vulnerable means I'm back under threat. So I think the first step would be safety. And I think that's where you want to connect with people, be create spaces for yourself that feel safe, right? And, some, and this is the challenge here is, Sometimes people don't have the resources to do that. I'm, I'm in, I, I communicate and try to support her a little bit, but she's in a situation where she can't move out of the house, but then the house is so threatening for her. And so that, that's a big, oh my God, I, I don't know. What are the ways we can create some safety? Maybe there's a, you create something in your room that is your safety corner, you know? But I think that would be really critical first is, starting to practice going into safe spaces, maybe connecting with people that feel safe in any way. Um, you know, people who are not necessarily giving you solutions, but they're there to just listen to you. I think those things would be the first things for any person trying to break through addictions to do is find safety, whatever that looks like for you. What are your thoughts on talk therapy for trauma versus subconscious like psychedelic experience mm. work for trauma um i just would love your opinion on that yeah i think talk therapy has its place for people who just want to be heard maybe they for them that could be their safe space first you know i don't feel safe expressing myself in the in the family or the friends or the community that i currently have so let me go to this absolute stranger whose job is to listen to me and that could be a safety thing. And I feel there's a lot of value there. The trouble with the traditional or the typical talk therapy or psychotherapy is that it focuses so much in, on the past. You know, like, so what happened? What happened? Oh, yes. And I believe, and I've learned that you can't create your future from the past. You have to create it from the present moment. So as long as the therapist, again, is trauma-informed, they will do a good job bringing the person back in the present moment, helping them regulate their nervous system, and then look at the future. But most psychotherapy does not necessarily do that. Most psychotherapists are not trauma-informed necessarily. So uh, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of them. And so I think that's where talk therapy fails, because you can keep talking, but the problem is you're stuck in the past talking about that, right? Versus this is where I am. And now let me maybe tap into my body's wisdom, right? Or what am I feeling in this moment? Okay, where is it coming from? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And maybe trying to use different modalities to then create where you want to be. What do you want to feel like instead of this? So I think that's where talk therapy fails a little bit. But like I said, it has value because for someone, it might be their safe space, yeah. right? Yeah. Meanwhile, there's there's things like, Psychedelics is one thing, but, you know, we can work with people who do NLP and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hypnosis or I believe this, what's it called? C CBT, Cognitive Behavioral yep. Therapy. Yep. Uh, 
like there's so many other avenues. There's obviously the psychedelic therapy. Um, I think based, each person has to choose what works for them, what resonates with them. Psychedelics can be amazing because depending on the set setting with psychedelic, your state of mind, your, your level of consciousness, they have the potential of overriding a lot of these traumas and resolving them. And then if you integrate well, you could form new neural pathways or new ego constructs that are more in line with your values and desires and the future you want to create. But it's it's not necessarily like that's going to happen with everybody, yeah. you know? Um, so I, th- I think those have more power if done in the right set and setting over talk therapy. Yeah, yeah I was just asking because I had been to psychiatrists, psychotherapy, uh, counselors, and I found myself through many years before I had really found uh, hypnosis and, mm. you know, our friend Brenda and, and yeah. what, what you do with psychedelics. But I, I never, I never actually felt safe in the space. So right. it was, I felt like, why am I sitting here with a stranger? And I could talk about things, but I felt very disconnected. Like I was almost out of my body just talking about it because I'm supposed to be there and talk about it and seeing someone for months and months and just feeling like, what, like, what is this doing? And so I was just interested in your, um, your view there, as opposed to, you know, I mean, psychedelics has been transformational yeah. for me, hypnosis, NLP as well. Um, so I think it's finding what is the medicine that someone needs. I know that's something you always say, right? Exactly. And you made a great point because you could talk, but you're still dissociated. Yeah. Right. And I think, and this is why I screen people, because if I feel someone is out there, I don't want to give them psychedelics and push them further out there. I want to do things that bring them into their body. I've had a couple of people in the last month who were referred to me for a psychedelic ceremony. And instead I recommended something like combo. Or actually, I referred them out to friends I trust for breath work because they, when I spoke to them on that first introductory call, it was very obvious and they confirmed and they, they, they admitted that they are out there. They're, they struggle with being in the physical body. So I, want, I don't want to give them more drugs. I want to tell them, okay, let's look at breath work. Let's look at cold showers. Let's look at, you know, um, any physical modality. And combo could be one of those because it forces you to feel all the sensations. Um, so, and thank God they've actually taken my advice and they're working with people now to work on their physical being. But that's, that's again, what's the medicine the person needs, right? And we have to be, as practitioners or as, you know, um, guides, whatever the term is, we have that responsibility of, really screening people well before we tell them, yep, go do this because maybe it helped me. Great. You know, it doesn't mean that's right for that person, whether it's psychedelics or anything else. Yeah. Why do you think people become disassociated with their body? Is it because the nervous system gets into those states and there's not a sense of safety so people don't feel safe in their body? Yeah, exactly. I, some event happened that they had to check out because physical body did not feel safe. And it's pretty common in like, you know, like serious uh, vehicle accidents, um, sexual abuse, very common for the number of women or even men, sadly, that I've I've spoken to that have gone through that experience. Dissociation is like the first um, response that they've told me that's like, yep, checked out. And I still do. And they'll even say that even now, even in a loving relationship, Having sexual intercourse is right, like they're numb. They'll always say that I'm numb. I don't feel it. Um, and that I, so that's what it is. It's that physical body doesn't feel safe. 
So let's pluck out. Um, I know you do a lot of somatic work or, you know, conversations mm. with people after their psychedelic experiences with you. So how does trauma leave the body? I know that there can actually be some visceral responses. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So trauma could leave even just by doing breath work, right? Because, and this is the thing I always tell people, we don't need to necessarily always know the story, but we need to know that it, this trauma is there somewhere. Right. And so even doing something like holotropic breath work that we did at Jasmine's uh, retreat or doing um, the Osho meditation where you're using your body to release energy, that energy could be trauma. Right. And logically, we may not know, you know, we may not know, whoa, I used to have this pain in my shoulder and it's gone after breath work. Maybe it was trauma. Right. But the thing is, the energy is releasing. So I feel that anything through the body, that you can do could release trauma. Now, obviously, I feel there's a, there's a distinction between releasing and resolving, right? Releasing is that physical sensation is gone, but perhaps the memory is still there. And I think that's, that's where resolution comes in, is having this peace with that event that I see, I, I don't need to know why it happened. I don't need to know that, but I get it. It happened. And coming to total peace with that, I think that along with that physical peace would help fully resolve the trauma so that it, it's not showing up as another thing, right? Do you believe anybody could be their true, authentic, sovereign self without doing trauma work? I think there's levels of authenticity, right? So before I dived into trauma, I feel I was still pretty authentic for the most part. I had my shadows, no doubt about it. So I think it depends on the levels, right? And But I also feel it's like, it's such an important piece. And it's funny because right now I talk so much about trauma because trauma is in my forefront. I'm studying it. I don't know, maybe five years from now, it'll be something else. And I'll be like, oh my God, how can I not do this and have a work with human beings? So I do feel trauma is a big piece because it goes under a lot of layers. You know, like just like when we used to do nutrition, we used to, when people used to want to drop body fat, we looked at hormones, digestion, detox, and get to the root. I feel trauma is like the root for being your authentic self or your highest self or whatever it is. So trauma work is essential, I, I believe. And this is the thing, like I said, you could be doing breath work consistently and doing trauma work, not knowing it's trauma work. You know, when I've had people like, I've seen people do breath work and just cry like so much. That could be trauma work. You're, you're grieving after God knows how many years, maybe, you know, and so that could be trauma work. So, but I, I do feel it's, it's essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I even looked at myself over the years, the, the shadows that we hold or the, mm -hmm. the images or the identities that we hold up or the, the, the masks that we don't want people to see, those layers, those walls we all put up um, from a safety perspective to keep the outside world out. The more I've taken them down, the more I felt authentic, the more I felt like my true whole self. And I'm sure there are still so many more layers to work yeah. through. Um, yeah. I've just noticed <laughs> such a huge correlation between dealing and resolving traumas and feeling at home in myself. Yeah, totally. And you made a good point, right? It feels like there will be so much more. And oh, yeah. personally, I think it's never ending game. It's a never ending game because 
not only are you resolving your let's I'm not just resolving last 40 years of trauma. I'm resolving generational trauma, which is, I don't know how many decades, right? And so it's really important to be uber compassionate with yourself. Be very kind. Be grateful for the little bit of stuff you resolve. If you resolve something, not even resolve, if you just became aware of something, take a little while to even just be grateful for it. Like, oh, now this is a new piece of information that's going to expand my consciousness. That's going to expand my awareness. That's going to expand my compassion towards myself and others. Great. So it, I think it's really important to be kind and gentle and compassionate as you're doing this work. Because I can tell you doing this stuff, so much comes up. And it's easy to like get caught up in it, start feeling anger. And not saying don't feel things. You have to feel things and move it around. But it's it's it can feel like hopeless sometimes it can feel like very very uh very strong in the body like all these sensations can get heightened you it is possible that you realize something and then you have two three days of just feeling down from it it's okay it's part of the process use modalities to again physical modalities that's for me i'm realizing more and more and more we have to go through the body you know we we are a culture that doesn't honor the body enough except for how it looks right? But we we don't really tap into the wisdom. And there's so much wisdom there. When I do those somatic phone calls post-ceremony with people, we're, we're, I'm not asking them, so what do you think it is? I don't want you to think. Let's feel it. You know, where do you feel that emotion when you think of this event? And they'll describe it. And then we try to move it. And then we try to listen to that sensation because a sensation, just like us, wants to be seen and heard. So if you're having this stomach pain somewhere, when you're thinking of this event, let's tap into it. Let's listen to that stomach pain. What is it? What is it trying to tell you? And it may take practice. Sometimes it's very clear. And sometimes it's like, I don't know, because maybe you don't want to even go there. Maybe you don't want to look at that. But that would be your practice then, is listening to the body's wisdom, right? So um, I, th- I, think, I think somatic practices is is probably one of the most profound ways, maybe most effective, I could be wrong saying that, um, to actually resolve trauma. And when you say somatic practices, just so we're clear, because you kind of just said that, what are you, what are you talking about there? Like Yeah, so somatic breath work, being, the, yeah. yeah, breath work, moving, yoga could be one of the somatic practices. You know, there's the Osho meditation. Um, it's very somatic. It's full body, right? Whether you're raging or whether you're staying still or whether you're what moving, Um and and there's there's I so I do somatic uh post-ceremony integration, which is it's a conversation, but it is to guide the person to tap into the body. Um, you know, I believe Peter Levine, who's also like the person to refer to when it comes to trauma, he has a method, I forget what it's called. He has a system of processing trauma, which is also something that goes through the body. So there's there's so many modalities that I think you know that people should explore that connect with the body, listen to the body, and resolve through the body. Yeah, and thank you earlier for saying to to take time and space and be compassionate. Yeah. It's not a linear process. No, um, and it's it's almost when you start to get still that more stuff will come up because if we're avoiding looking at these things, we will distract. Totally. We will we and we live in a very distracted world yeah. in, in and of itself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, wonderful, Brad. This is a great conversation. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any last nuggets of wisdom or anybody who might be new to trauma work? 
Yeah, I would say, like, I, I think one of the messages I already said is be compassionate with yourself, be kinder. But if you want somewhere to start, I would say start with the movie Wisdom of Trauma. You have to watch it on their uh, official website. Uh, I believe you have to make a small donation and you can watch it. It gives you access to the movie for like 24 or 48 hours. Um, and if you want, if you're called to it, you can actually upgrade and get like a whole bunch of videos, which are like interviews with Gabramate or Gabramate interviewing some other people. Keep a box of tissues because you will fucking cry. I've cried so much watching those videos um, just because I'm realizing the human condition is so fragile as it is resilient, you know? So I would suggest start there, watch, watch wisdom of trauma and then go from there, read the books. Peter Levine's books are great. I've not read them, but I hear great things about his books as well. Um, and then create safe spaces, start creating safe spaces, whatever that means for you. Yeah. 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 Um, what's your handle on Instagram? Cause I know you promote a lot of people in your network who are holding yes. spaces and doing different things. Yeah. It's a uh, heart of God shamanic healing. Uh, and there's like underscore between each word. Okay. Well, I'll link it here in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brad. It's a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. This was, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Yes. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode today. My website, simplysara.com, is a great place for me to continue to support you on your journey to alignment, joy, and fulfillment. There you will find upcoming retreats that I am hosting, resources, books, and many other helpful tools to help you on your travels through this thing called life.